Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. It is just Coomer today, and that's because Hummer and I have decided to aggregate and relaunch three different interviews that we did earlier this season with regard to Mike Saunders Jr., Gabe Madsen, Mason Madsen, and Tari Eason. This past weekend, the Bearcat fan base was disappointed to find out that none of the graduate transfers or incoming freshmen that decided to make their decisions this weekend, none of them decided to take their talents to Clifton. Their loss, but I do think we would be mistaken not to revisit the four freshmen that have already committed to our program. These guys are immensely talented, and when we spoke to Tyler Glazier, Ryan James, and Nars Martinez, they did nothing but confirm that we should all be incredibly excited about these four young men showing up on campus, hopefully this summer, but at a minimum later this fall. Uh, They all have a very, you know, wide-ranging skill sets, they complement each other well, and they're all just really, really great young men who bring an enthusiasm, a passion, hard work ethic, great energy, and maybe most importantly, great basketball skills. So without further ado, we're going to go in order of commitment to the University of Cincinnati. So to kick things off, Tyler Glazier talks about Mike Saunders Jr. We are now joined by Tyler Glazier, video scout for PerspectiveInsight.com. Tyler, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we caught you caught our eye based on uh, putting together a really cool highlight clip of Mike Saunders Jr. It led me to reach out to PerspectiveInsight.com, where we found out that you're actually located in Utah and therefore, you've had a few opportunities now to see Mike Saunders Jr. play this year. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I've probably seen him about two to three times this year and a handful of times last year. So Wasatch is about an hour away from where I live, so it's pretty easy to, to catch him. Great. Well, that's, that'll give us some uh, perspective uh, in terms of the year-over-year development. Before we get into Saunders' game, could you mind telling us a little bit about your experience in scouting and maybe how you broke into this? For sure. So with Pro Insight, I uh, met Matt McKay at Hoop Summit last year and um, had kind of heard a little bit about him and what he was doing with the high school scene. And um, that was something that I was kind of interested in getting more into. So I I joined on with them uh, probably sometime early summer and uh, started covering some events and – yeah, this year it's just kind of been building and and been working a lot with Matt on, you know, doing more of the video side, breaking down some film and writing reports on on some of that stuff and then covering local events when I when I could make it out. Um, so that's kind of my background with Pro Insight. Prior to that, I had been doing just scouting on my own. Uh, I'm based in Utah and so just uh, scouting throughout the state and writing reports and, and kind of sharing that with different contacts. But I think this is my, basically my third season, kind of um, third season in, in college basketball and kind of 
second second season or so really trying to dive deep into high school basketball great it's a uh, it's definitely an interesting interesting profession to get into especially if you're mm -hmm. if you're as avid of a basketball fan as we are but just sure. to provide some context for the folks who are listening who may not be as uh looped in on what's happening in the coming season because mike saunders jr is obviously not a name who's playing for the team right now uh, but he was the first player to commit to John Brannon's 2020 recruiting class, a class that has since and we've since added Gabe Madsen, Mason Madsen, and Tari Eason. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike actually committed on his first trip to Cincinnati. There's apparently a longstanding relationship between John Brannon and his family. And uh, now we get to reap the benefits of that. So with that said, let's mm -hmm. get into a little bit about Mike Saunders Jr.'s game. Um, he plays for a academy out there called Wasatch Academy, and you'll probably need to correct me again on how to pronounce that. No, yeah, that was good. That was fine. Um, so tell me, do you, do you have any insight into what this academy is? Because there's a lot of high-level basketball talent at this school, um, you know, players who have committed to Fresno State, University of Utah, BYU, Michigan State. How do they, how do they have this type of talent in one location out in Utah, which you don't necessarily associate with like a ba a basketball mecca necessarily. Yeah, Utah itself isn't, you know, like you said, it's not really like a basketball mecca for high school hoops and stuff like that. So they Wasatch is um, I don't know if it's like a private school or or something that way. They're they're a Nike elite school, so similar to like Oak Hill and, and stuff like that. And um, they're kind of based out. Uh, just in a really small town out here in Utah and they have their coaching staff is really well connected, um, internationally and stuff. And, um, they get a lot of recruits from Canada and from Africa and from Brazil and, um, you know, the Netherlands and stuff like that. So they do most of, most of the players that play for the team, like the stars are, are from outside of the state or even outside of the country. Um, but yeah, they're just a small school. Um, the kids, uh, you know, they have a little campus out there and stuff, and and uh, the kids live with host families and basically just kind of similar to a lot of the other Nike elite schools um, where they're just kind of focused on, on school but really get good basketball training and stuff like that. And I think that's why it's appealing to a lot of kids is they could just kind of go and kind of be out, not necessarily in the middle of nowhere, but kind of. And uh, just focus focus on their game, you know? Right. And it does appear that they get to play some of the best competition in the country. You know, I've seen that they, they've been on ESPN3 multiple times. They obviously get more publicity at the high school level than most high school players would typically get. What mm -hmm. have you seen? What have you seen so far? You know, you've seen him now. You've seen Mike Saunders Jr. play about five times. What, yeah. what has jumped off the page to you in terms of his strengths as a basketball player? So strengths, I mean, the first thing that pops is just how fast he is. Um, he's a hyper-quick guy with the ball, um, kind of a one-man fast break in that sense where he'll really just grab and go the rebounds and stuff and um, can really just push the ball out off of made baskets and is just really dynamic that way with his speed. Um, another thing that stands out with that is, you know, he's got a pretty tight handle. For, for how quick he is and for how fast he moves. 
um, his handle isn't something that really slows him up. And uh, which sometimes is rare to see with with some of the faster athletes. Sometimes their handle could kind of impede them a little bit. But um, that's not really the case a ton with Saunders. Uh, so his transition game, um, I'd say he's a pretty crafty and strong finisher around the basket. Uh, he can kind of get going downhill. He's got, you know, a big and big frame, kind of thicker build and a strong lower body. So he's kind of able to absorb some contact, but he could kind of finish with either hand. So he goes left or right, has some good hang time that way. So in terms of like his immediate strengths, just like his, his hyper quick speed with the ball, his finishing ability, um, kind of jump out the most. That's the one thing that you continually hear, even in Cincinnati, is that he has, you, you tend to like hearing about players joining a, a basketball program that ha- already have one elite skill, and the speed is something that you just can't, you're, it sounds unique, right? Like the player that's popped in mm-hmm. my mind several times now is is Ty Lawson, who played at North Carolina yeah, several years back, and yeah. they're, I think, the, about the same size. Ty, Ty Lawson was in the 5'11 range. Yeah. Um, would that be kind of an accurate comp in terms of just maybe just raw skill set? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I had that comp in my notes coming in today. Um, just body type, like they're really similar that way. And then just, yeah, I think that's a great comp. You mentioned the handle, and I was curious about that myself. In the half court, obviously in transition, he's explosive, he's lightning quick. I've seen him beat guys down the court time and time again in highlight videos and in some of the ESPN three games we've had a chance to watch. Sure. Is it, is it an effective handle in the half court? Is he able to probe a defense, get inside and, and keep it alive? What have you noticed in, on that front? Yeah, within the half court, yeah, within the half court, I think he could definitely at, at the high school level, he kind of get past his man, you know, um, just cause he could change gears so quick. Um, but I do think within the half court, he could, probably adds some more on-ball diversity that way, just more counter moves and stuff since he's so reliant on his speed. Um, I think at the college level with tougher defenders and, and uh, you know, more people in the paint at times, just more length, I think that's something he could probably work on is just uh, learning how to – not be totally reliant on his speed, if that makes sense. So I think the handle, it's tight. He's got a few in and out moves, some crossovers, but I think he could add a little bit more wiggle to his game, if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, that's exactly kind of what I wanted to to get at and, and learn as to what he could add. I imagine, you know, as, as someone who scouts and watches players uh, at this level more often than obviously myself or Hummer do, it, when you talk about a tight handle, is that just basically like the foundation is there to build upon, you know, an extremely effective game or handle for the college level? Like, are, is you're seeing the core competencies there that would develop well going into the college D1 ranks? Yeah, I think so. I think so. He's definitely coordinated enough and, you know, keeps it pretty tight. I don't really see him turn the ball over a ton off the dribble. Um, which is a plus for someone who plays that fast. And so I think he's definitely got a good foundation to build on. But, you know, I think the first year in college, it'll just be a little bit of adjustment, um, knowing which moves to add and, and, you know, what type of decisions to make with the ball within the half court. 
a lot of the talk we we've heard in terms of areas for improvement has been the jump shot. And I, you haven't mentioned it at this point. It's going mm-hmm. to be a leading question of sorts, but you got sure. to see him play last year, two times. You've seen him play three times this year. Has there been improvement in that area? And what have you noticed so far in terms of shooting, which is just for, for your information, John Brandon, the new coach in Cincinnati has put a huge emphasis on, uh, a more offensive system, let's say. More ball movement, more cutting, but also more shooting in the long term. And so bringing in someone like Saunders, where it's not an, uh, a strength from the get-go, I'm curious if it's something that he's he's seen improvement in. Yeah, I think definitely going into this season, he's put a lot of work into his jump shot. And so that's something that the coaching staff, speaking with them last year, that they were you know wanting to get some work with them over the summer on some of that. And so... Just in terms of his mechanics, um, I think his mechanics have, have tightened up this year. I think they're a little bit quicker than last year. Um, he's playing – It's kind. Of, they kind of are running a two-point guard lineup with he and Richard Isaacs right now. And so Saunders is kind of showing the ability to play off the ball and kind of hit some spot, um, some spot three-pointers and stuff like that. But um, I think he's definitely – you know, he definitely needs to improve in that area and become more consistent. But I have seen some some pretty solid strides in his game this year in terms of shooting. So in terms of where he's most effective right now, when shooting or scoring the ball, it's more from a spot-up role, maybe less off the dribble at this point? Yeah, I think his off the dribble can still be a little bit inconsistent, you know, in terms of in terms of the results and you know, just getting into his shot off the dribble. Um, I think he's much more just as an off-ball shooter, you could tell he's been putting the work in in terms of like getting his feet set, getting balanced, and then uh, knowing how to get the ball out quicker, you know. Honestly, it's good news for Bearcats fans because this season we saw a freshman actually take over the starting, and I'm going I'm to put it in air quotes, the point guard spot, because right now Jaron Cumberland is clearly operating as our de facto point guard but that was going to be a question of mine was his ability to play in the two guard role uh given that we have another young freshman who's we're likely going to see two point guard lineups pretty consistently next season yeah i think he could do that like i think um it was kind of a toss-up coming in this into this season for wasatch kind of who was gonna play point guard and who is gonna you know be more off the ball and i think he's kind of he and Isaacs tend to split that, but I would say Isaacs, you know, is probably a 60-40 in Isaacs' favor um, in terms of playing the lead point guard spot. And so, yeah, I think uh, Saunders has really done a nice job kind of adjusting to another point guard and uh, learning how to be effective off ball this season. Yeah, that's uh, no, it's honestly great insight for us in, in terms of what he's bringing to the table and what he's been able to work on as a player. Any other, uh, what kind of, you know, just having a chance to see him now play five times, I'll just kind of give you an open-ended question here or, or you know, opportunity sure. for you to just kind of elaborate on, you know, what you've seen and, and maybe any anecdotes you have from plays that impressed you or whatnot with Mike Saunders Jr. Yeah, I think uh, I just, I really like his game. I think he's someone who's a little bit, you know, I think he's just a great pickup for Cincinnati. You know, I think he's, I wouldn't call him like a sleeper NBA prospect yet, but you know he's someone that I'm definitely going to keep my eye on. My eye on, in terms of the draft, maybe 
after his sophomore or junior season. Um, he's just like a tough guy. And so uh, defensively, I, I love watching him play defensively because he's, he's listed at about 5'11 or so. Uh, so he's kind of got that Ty Lawson stocky build. But um, he really could play up for his position. So he, I really like watching his toughness, mental toughness on the defensive side. He just kind of gets into guys and really just like plays with a huge chip on his shoulder. So I think in terms of, you know, some of the guys that Cincinnati has had in the past and, and stuff, I think he's going to fit right in over there. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it. It's a, it was an oversight on my part on, on defense is the speed effective on, on defense, like it is on offense, you know, is he able to actually use it to his advantage in terms of positioning, in terms of beating guys to the spot? Um, what have you seen speed be as effective on defense? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Like laterally he's, he's quick, you know, he's got quick feet, he's got quick hands and, um, can really just like play tight on a guy, you know, uh, really closes the gap on on any sort of shooting window on players on the on the perimeter, and so definitely his speed is a huge factor defensively. And and uh, yeah, I mean, so his speed, you know, combined with some of his instincts and and his toughness, he's really good in passing lanes as well. Like he on ball, he's got quick hands and can you know poke balls away, but in passing lanes, he could really jump the gun as well. So. His athleticism, I, you know, I think in terms of transferring to the college level, I don't think there's um, going to be many issues that way. Excellent. You mentioned something interesting when you're talking about him. You know, looking sophomore towards his junior year, you know, then maybe kind of reevaluating where he might stand in terms of becoming an NBA prospect. Mm-hmm. What you're seeing, what are some of those, those things that he would need to improve upon for you to say after his junior year, yes, he could be an NBA prospect. I think the main things is like, uh, like we touched on earlier, like his point guard polish within the half court. And so like officially running an offense when the game, when the pace gets a little bit slower. Um, I think, uh, you know, he's, he's a solid playmaker and he could break down defenses and kick out. But I think there's some, you know, he could add some passing uh, diversity and stuff that way in terms of, you know, being able to swing the ball around the perimeter and, and make some more difficult passes. Um, I think in terms of just decision-making, he's such a, uh, you know, he's uh, on the high school level, he's been so used to getting to the hoop whenever that sometimes he could kind of force that. Um, but this year he's been kind of learning how to pull that back a little bit. Um, and then the last one would just be, you know, is he someone that could be like a, even just like a 35 to, you know, 33 to 35% off ball shooter on, on a decent number of attempts per game. I I think if he started to kind of iron out some of those kinks and, uh, you know, just continue to, to be productive, uh, you know, after his sophomore or junior season, then he'd, he'd probably be getting a little bit on the radar in terms of the NBA. It seems helpful, too, that when you play for an academy like Wasatch, that he is playing with so much talent that going to the college level, he doesn't have to struggle with the adjustment of being, you know, the big fish in a small pond. 
you know, there's other guys on this team that are eating just as much and probably even scoring and producing at even higher levels. When I look at the list of players here, have you just with your experience watching players move on from that school? Is that something that is beneficial or you, you think it's just it doesn't matter at all? Um, sorry, you cut out there a little bit. Could you ask that again? Sure. So I'm basically asking with Wasatch, it's such a loaded roster, uh, with a Uh prep school of this nature. Do you think it makes the transition to the college game a little bit easier or, you know, what do you notice of players that come out of programs like this versus being at a smaller school where your usage goes up, your stats go up, but you're making that adjustment to playing with more talented players, whereas he's already doing that now. Yeah, I think there's there's pros and cons to each. I think in Saunders' case, um, I think just the ability to play with more talented or, or play with other talented prospects has really helped his game. Because, um, you know, like these guys, they go at it in practice, and so it's kind of the iron sharpens iron type of thing. And, um, you know, players that come out of these type of programs, you know, they – they play against a lot of, you know, good competition throughout the season. So I think the adjustment to the college game could be a little bit easier in terms of just the speed, you know, dealing with the athleticism and stuff like that. It's not something that they're, that they're foreign to, if that makes sense. And so sometimes I think with the, but in terms of, you know, smaller, smaller high schools and, and good prospects coming at, coming out of smaller schools, I think, with those prospects, they really get an opportunity to kind of shoulder a, a large offensive load and kind of be the man. And in those cases, they could really, at times, expand their game more so than some of these other schools, if that makes sense, because they're just able to, they kind of have that green light and can kind of do what they want. And and uh, so I, there's just there's just pros and cons, but I think in Saunders' case, being able to, to play against and, and practice hard against some of these top level guys has really, really helped out his game. It's actually funny. We, we were talking about, you know, Kim and I were talking offline a little bit earlier today. And, and I was actually going to bring something like that up, you know, talking about the competition he was playing in. Cause Mike Saunders being on the, you know, the smaller, I think the smaller scale for what we're going to see from, you know, a height perspective and mm-hmm. knowing that he's already playing against a, pretty much the type of competition he's going to be coming up against in the league. And that was going to be one of the things I was going to ask you is, you know, being that type of player, what are some of the things that you see him doing that kind of takes the, his height out of, out of the, out of the equation? I think kind of phrase this. Uh, so basically you're just kind of asking like, what does he do now? Well enough to, to kind of, uh, eliminate some of the issues he might have with his positional height. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think mainly it's just like, so his strength, he's a really strong guy and, and really doesn't, um, like knows how to use his body and, and get into, um, to taller defenders. I think sometimes when you have a low center of gravity, like he's got, um, you're able to kind of use that to your advantage, if that makes sense. And, I think in his case, he's got a pretty long wingspan. It's listed at 6'5", and so that kind of helps make up for some of uh, his lack of uh, height that way. And then lastly, his mental toughness. Like, he's he's someone who is just a dog. You know, he, he really isn't scared of, you know, I think if you were to ask him, he'd probably 
say, yeah, give me like a six five point guard to go up against. You know, I think he's kind of got that that mindset that you see when he plays that he really just loves the challenge. You know, so he could even though he's listed at five eleven, he tends to really play bigger than his size. Well, I think the first time he really burst onto the national scene where I saw him actually pop up on websites like the Steppy Inn and other recruiting services was when he mm-hmm. matched up against Cole Anthony last season. Sure. And, uh, you know, he held his own, you know, okay, I think, uh, for going against a player of that caliber who's going to be a top five pick most likely in the 2020 sure. NBA draft. So good signs, good things to come, it seems like, for Mike Saunders Jr. and, and Tyler I really appreciate you joining us to discuss his game and, and fill us in mm-hmm. a little bit more about what he's bringing to the table next season. What, Where can people find you on Twitter? Where can they read your content and see your videos? Go ahead. Sure, yeah. So on Twitter, it's uh, just Tyler underscore Glazier. So it's T-Y-L-E-R underscore Glazier, G-L-A-Z-I-E-R. And then uh, you could find some of the videos at Pro Insight. And that's... Um, underscore pro insight at Twitter. And so that's basically where I put out most of my content. So yeah, if you guys want to give me a follow on there and a little shout out and that'd be great. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. I recommend the follow it, even with players who aren't relevant to Cincinnati. It's fun to see how you guys highlight and, and pick apart different players games. So appreciate you joining us, sir. And uh, we'll be talking to you. Have a good one. Okay, okay. appreciate it, man. Go, I want to give you one more softball. Okay. This okay. is a softball. Sure, okay. So you, you've seen it seven times, and you know you see Mike Saunders Jr., and he's very easy to spot on the court. Uh-huh. Is he to have the best hair you've ever seen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think his hair totally matches his game, because when he starts, when he hits the gas in transition, you just see the hair just fly back. And so it's awesome. I, I love his hair. Hopefully he keeps it when he goes to Cincinnati or maybe he dyes it red or something like that. That's exactly what we're, red. That's what we're <laughs> calling for. And he actually he floated the idea of shaving it, and, and thank goodness that didn't happen. You've got to keep yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. All right, sir. We'll have a good one, Tyler. Thanks again. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. We'll see you. Bye. Thank you. We are now joined by Ryan James, a co-publisher at Gopher Illustrated, a national analyst for Prep Hoops, and also a writer at North Star Hoops, Prep Hoops Dakota, and Breakdown USA. Ryan, thank you for joining the podcast today. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. It's my pleasure to come on and talk to you guys about, you know, two of our best basketball players in the state of Minnesota. I'm glad to hear it. We're, we're excited as Bearcat fans to learn more about Gabe and Mason Madsen. Um, you know, I think Gabe in particular was a little more, little more, little more uh, reputable, high, more highly ranked. But as we've gotten to see them play a little bit more and, and the new high school seasons upon us, it seems as though Mason is starting to rise as well. What can you, what can you tell us about uh, their play in Minnesota, the league they're playing in in high school? What do you, what do you know about these guys? Um, I've been able to watch Gabe and Mason for three years, both in summer spring basketball with Wisconsin Playground Warriors, because they are from Wisconsin. Um, and, and I've also been able to watch them play high school basketball here. Um, they play in a league which is in southern Minnesota called the Big Nine. And in Minnesota, we have 26 high school regular season games. But that league is so gigantic that they have 22 games set. So, like... 
Minnesota high school basketball right now is a clash at all times because it's at an all-time high level. They don't get to play the elite competition because their, their conference schedule is so massive. But they get to play good competition. I wouldn't say it's elite, but it's good. And then when they get to the st- if they get to the state tournament, which they have a decent shot at, um, then they play like some of the elite teams with some of the highly ranked players in our state. Uh, they, their dad is their coach. Their father's name is Luke Madsen. Um, so far this year, they've only got one loss. I was able to watch them on Friday night, and they blew out an opponent from Northfield, Minnesota, who's a good team. But Mason and Gabe, like Mason hit four threes within about four minutes time and the game was essentially over. A few of those highlights trickled out onto Twitter and, you know, one in particular stood out, which was Mason coming down the court, taking about three steps inside the half court line and then pulling from three. You know, the the style of basketball you see from Steph Curry, Trey Young. And I know that's where the game is heading, but I, I didn't think that Mason was known as that type of shooter. Has there been a big jump? in his shooting efficiency this this year? I would say that Mason has been shooting the ball that way. I think his big jump came last year in the middle of his junior year. Um, Mason had, For me, Mason's been one of the best shooters in the state of Minnesota. And again, we right now we're a very talented state of basketball. He's been one of the best shooters in the state of Minnesota since the middle of his junior year. He had a great year shooting with the Wisconsin Playground Warriors. And he's shot the ball extremely well. For Rochester Mayo this year, he's a confident shooter, shooter, and he's a very tough young man. I would say, like Mason had two high major offers, both from your area there, Cincinnati Xavier. Um, I would say Mason might be one of the more overlooked guys I've seen around here in terms of recruiting. I don't have an answer for exactly why, um, because when it comes to toughness, he defines toughness. When it comes to defensive like just moxie and consistency he's there and he shoots the ball at such a high rate I don't I I think maybe it was overlooked a little bit just because Gabe is more explosive and six foot six and maybe that had something to do with it but to me I think a lot of teams missed out on if they had the scholarships available not everybody has a scholarship available for two guys at point guard and and shooting guard and in the wing and that that might be part of it but I think Cincinnati really found um, – I don't know what the exact word is for. I think they did the job and did a good job in landing them both. And I think Mason – I rank I, – I, with a team of people at Prep Hoops, rank we – we were just coming out with the top 500 nationally. And usually there's about 310, 315, 320 kids that signed D1 out of high school. Um, for me, Mason's in that top 250 range. I, 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 I shouldn't say, I didn't expand on that enough. 310, 325, 330, they signed high majors out of high school. And I think Gabe is in that top 250, 275 range myself, watching him all this time. And so the difference, it sounds like, between Gabe and Mason, I know there's a size difference. Gabe, you said, is about 6'6", Mason 6'3". Do I have that right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay. And in terms of style of play, so we, but we now know they both can knock down shots from all over the court. Is there one that, you know, are they creators? Do they have good uh, dribbling skills? Uh, Do they have good hoops IQ where they're able to find other teammates and make good plays for other people? What can you tell us about them on that front? That's where I think you you have two different players. When it comes to Gabe, Gabe grabbed everybody's national attention and became a national top 125 level guy when he grew a couple inches. But then he started taking 
talented guys off the bounce and finishing explosively. That's what grabbed everybody's attention. I mean, Gabe has been able to shoot the ball at all times, but then now he's when he grows a little bit, he's shooting over the top of players better. But then when he started taking the ball at the rim physically, that's when things changed. Um, I specifically remember at Gopher team camp, he played uh, – there's a wing here named Kerwin Walton who blew up this summer. I mean, he got offers from North Carolina, Arizona, Kansas, a, a whole long list. Just got offered by Georgetown, I believe, yesterday or Friday. Um, and Gabe went at him and played – I would say got the better of him that day. He got the better of a kid here in, in Minnesota named Javon Hadley, who's a top 350-level kid. And he went at a lot of guys on the Under Armour circuit and did the same. So that is kind of where Gabe Gabe – rose above uh, he his physical basketball attack is great and he had 16 rebounds the other night he he rebounds from the wing really well but he also has to because they, he's the biggest guy in his team um <laughs> well he isn't now because the guy well there's a their center grew a little bit but Gabe's has to rebound for them so he rebounds pretty well for that i would say and then mason is more your distributor your more game-to-game consistent catch-and-shoot three-point guy and your better defender where Gabe is your more explosive scorer going in the rim and hit threes. So, like, I'd say Gabe is probably more, uh, has the potential to have the more explosive game, whereas Mason is going to have the more steady game. Good stuff. When you, you know, you spent a good amount of time covering basketball across the state in Minnesota. You've seen the level of competition, but you've also seen guys come out of these, these schools and these teams and translate and how and see how their skills translate at the college level, knowing that you see the Bearcats, they play in the American Athletic Conference. There is a fairly high level of competition in our conference, but also the non-conference schedule we see. How do you see um, the Madsen brothers transitioning in terms of being able to play their freshman year? Do you see these as guys who are going to take some time, you know, to, to learn a, learn a new system, or do you see potential for potential first-year impacts? It, it, to me, it depends on what you guys, what Cincinnati has coming back. I'm not exactly sure what they would have coming back at their spots. But in terms of being prepared for that next level, Mason defensively is a lot in, in shot making wise, like kind of almost like a three and D guy to a degree as a, as a guard. Um, he's going to be locked in or he can give you consistent, consistent minutes. Um, Gabe, I think if you have a wing need, if you have a wing scoring need, Gabe can fill that. Um, not exclusively. I mean, he's going to be a first-year player. It's going to take a little bit of time, obviously. But I think Gabe can give, you know, a program. If he plays 24 minutes, I could see Gabe next year stepping on the floor and averaging seven, eight points a game. Now, consistency is going to fluctuate when you're a freshman at a high level of college basketball. But he has, you know, if, if, the, if the available time is there, I could see Gabe shooting a decent percentage from the arc and getting at the basket for three, four baskets a game. Yeah, we're, we're, we're experiencing that currently with our, our freshmen in, in-house, which is, you know, Micah Adams-Woods, who's been a pleasant surprise from Syracuse, New York. Didn't come in with a ton of expectations, but has already taken over the starting point guard role. Whereas Zach Harvey uh, from Kansas came in with that top 50 buzz and hasn't necessarily found a huge role this first year. But that's not to say it won't he won't figure it out in years two, three, and four. Um, did you – what else can you tell the Bearcat – you know, fans, listeners about, you know, just the brothers, maybe things that you wouldn't learn from reading a, uh, a blog on 24 seven or a post about their statistics. What do you know about, 
about them as people? Oh man, I you know I've developed a nice relationship with the kids and with their with their parents. Um, first of all, but before I get to that, I also want to add that Mason Madsen can play both guard spots. So if if you have a point guard, Mason can go over and play the two guard the guard guard some wing guard some two guards some of the shorter wings, and he can hit the he can be a catch and shoot guy too. So just know that. Um, as far as the Madsen brothers, uh, they come from a family of teachers. Uh, they're originally from Wisconsin. They 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 had big freshman years in Wisconsin. About in the and they're from the Eau Claire area, which is two hours from where they are right now in Rochester, and it's about an hour and a half from the Twin Cities. Um, I'm not ex- I, I'm not exactly sure what the parents teach, but the fa- but their dad Lou teaches at Rochester Mayo, and their mother teaches at Austin High School, which is 30 minutes uh, southwest from there. Which is and the school she teaches at is actually one block from the house I grew up in. Um, so. They, and I'm an, my, I also am an educator. Uh, I teach special ed, so I've been able to relate to them in that. Um, Gabe and Luke are two kids that are very, they, they're very respectful towards, um, very respectful towards the, the, towards their parents' careers, towards, you know, the, the, the work the teachers put in. Um, they're both very grounded young men. They're both like when I when I see them, they're some of the more polite guys you'll see. But then on their court, they're two of the more intense guys you'll see. Um, I've never had a bad interaction with either of them. Like just the other night, I was over there. I was just Friday night. I was over there. Wanted to talk to them afterwards. You see, I see Gabe in the training room. He got a big smile on his face. Um, excuse me, that was Luke. And I'd see Gabe in the hallway. He asked me how my holiday went. These are good kids. Um, they're they're interactive in the community. Um, again, their parents are teachers, so they're well-educated at a young age, and they're well-grounded young men. So it's they also lived. I, I don't know exactly what country it was, but for one year, their father or their parents taught overseas. Oh, wow. I mean, it might even yeah, it might have been in China actually. So they spent one year. I don't know exactly what year. Maybe it was in eighth grade. Living in China because that's where their parents taught for a year. I, I believe that's how this, how it was. So and their father Luke is their high school is their high school coach. So that that's what I would say about them. Two two guys that I've I've enjoyed covering, enjoyed watching play. It's been great to learn about them. It's been great to see the clips floating out on the internet, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing them join the Bearcats next season. Not to put you on the spot here, but do you follow any recruiting outside of the state? Or so if I asked you about guys like uh, Mike Saunders or Tari Eason, do you have any any insight on them? Uh. With what we do at Prep Hoops, um, like I am the guy that compiles a lot of the national stuff, but we we rely on more of our local guys. So I I, I step in and look at some guys when needed, but we'll, we would rely more on our local guys from that from the area. So right now I couldn't give you too much right now without you know because we're what we do at Prep Hoops is about a team. I'm kind of right. the leader of the recruiting team, but we don't like I. Let's be honest here, one person cannot sit there and watch all 250 seniors, all 300 juniors, all 250 sophomores, and come up with a ranking on their own. That's, that's ridiculous. And people try to do that all the time. Right. Um, that's, why, that's why you need teams of people to come up with, come up with this. And so that's how we do it at Prep Hoops. And uh, that's exactly why we call it you. <laughs> <laughs> Just a general recruiting question. You know, there's so many kids playing basketball. I mean, it's the same for football. And so you... Sometimes you think uh, he's not a top hundred guy. You know what? What are we actually getting here? I, 
can you offer some insight there? Because I actually think it's it's kind of a, a crapshoot, and it's more about coaches identifying talent that fits into the system and style of play they want to want to see at their university. Can you speak to you know rankings once you get to that one hundred to three hundred range? To me, it does become who's about their system. Um, you know, I cover the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers, and for you know. We had a situation a few years ago where Brad Davidson was a Gophers. His family is a Gophers season ticket holders, and Brad. But Brad Davidson doesn't fit what Richard Pitino wants as a point guard. He wants a guy like Marcus Carr, who they recruited at that point and didn't land him. He went to Pittsburgh before coming to Minnesota. That's the type of point guard he wanted. McKinley Wright, who is now at Colorado, sometimes that fit is different. So if Brad Davidson's a big Gopher fan, it might be higher ranked than somebody. So that coach, that doesn't matter. They have to have the right fit for their program. The one thing I want to say also about the recruiting rankings in colleges, like a lot of recruiting rankings kind of lean on what offers do guys have. And at the modern-day college coach, they don't have much time to recruit as the head guy. They really don't have as much evaluation time to go out and see him. You know, they learn about a guy. They have to make a schedule over three weekends in the summer, and that's what they get to do. And – and now some people would think, well, you have all day to, like, look at t- tape. How does that not happen? And I think they do. But I also know, like, think of all the college coaching college coaches out there who are just trying to survive, who they just want their job. And that's the number one thing about it. I think people forget about how many of these coaches during the season are coaching for the jobs year by year. And that does play an effect in the recruiting. So sometimes I don't always believe some of the evaluations – um, are strong enough from these coaches because I don't know that they have the time and some of them don't put in the time. I'm thinking of a guy right now who's ranked 125 in the country. I'm not going to say the name because I don't, I don't need the heat right now. I don't need quite that much heat right now on my Sunday morning. But, like, this guy is not talented enough. He's just not. But because he's 6'10 and runs well and he got seen in one game, in one game, he got seen playing well this summer at an Adidas event. His recruitment blew up. But right now, he's not even a top 10 player in his state because he's been that bad. You know, we had a player here named Mike Groghammer from Notre Dame who I love. He went to Notre Dame who I love. Played at Hopkins High School. He had one game, good game in front of uh, Mike Bray at Notre Dame. And that was it. He got signed. And, well, Mike just wasn't ready for that level. And then he got hurt at Notre Dame. So, you know, sometimes it's just about... Being in the right, you know, these coaches only get so many views and they like the view and they take it. So it's wild. That and is, that, was about around, that was also about around the same time Kyle Washington was playing. And I know you guys like Kyle Washington. He's from Minnesota up here at Benilde St. Margaret. So yeah, I always enjoyed Kyle too. Nice pull. We just gave Kyle Washington our transfer of the decade for UC because he started started at North Carolina State and then made his way over to Cincinnati and had a, a two, two very productive years for us. Yeah, I always Kyle was a very... I always enjoyed well, – it was kind of sad that he went to prep school because I really enjoyed watching him play. He was such a, 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 a – I liked him as a player, but he was also such an intellectual guy. He was always good to talk to. Well, I appreciate your feedback about the national rankings because I think what happens – it's a pet peeve of mine. You see these guys, they, they may get ranked incorrectly, and the expectations may actually become too high. But what fan bases tend to do is take it out on the player – and not the actual misses from who ranked them in the first place. Yes. It's usually it's usually not the player's fault that things aren't working out. It's that they may have been mis, misranked in the first place. Yes, and a lot of it, the other thing about recruiting is you can see the talent, but the, so many people lie to college coaches. Not, not all, but there's high school coaches that don't tell the truth. 
There are spring and summer coaches that don't tell the truth. So these college coaches don't always know what kind of work ethic these guys have. They don't know how tough they are. They don't know how much they could push them in practice. I, I was a high school coach here in Minnesota for many years, coached several D1 players. I got a player in my mind who I coached, and I remember a guy I coached with wasn't exactly all the way strong on how good this young man was, and he went to college and wasn't good enough for that level. That happens. And and he the young man was a good player, but he just – it was hard to get him. It was hard to push him, and it was hard to get him to defend consistently. And it, like some college, some of these college coaches aren't able to see that till they get him on campus. They don't always know how tough they are. They don't know how hard to work they are. They just see him playing some of these AU games, and they have to try and trust people. And I'll tell you what: there's a lot of people out here that were worried more about a kid getting an opportunity than they are being honest with the college coach. Great stuff, Ryan. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast, sharing some insights about the Madsen brothers but also recruiting at large. Uh, you can find Ryan James on Twitter, at RyanJamesMN. Ryan, before we let you go, anything else you want to make sure the people hear? You know, I, I'm sure you guys in Cincinnati would love to know that I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, and I've been tortured since I was a little kid. Like, are you guys, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. I like the color orange, and my dad got me, like, these tops cards with Ozzie Newsom and Chip Banks back. So, like, in 1982, as a five-year-old, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I mean, the amount of torture I've had, to, like, that's my connection to Ohio. Oh, that's brutal. The amount brutal. of torture I've had to go through for years is insane. That's brutal, but you, you got to admit, it's, it's no better in the south of Ohio with Cincinnati. <laughs> the Bengals are, are even more of a disaster. Though, I guess with the number one pick, uh, they have a chance to, to do the same thing the Browns did a few years ago and get the savior for the e franchise. Epically. Yeah, Epically yes, they fail. always have two saviors. It's great. And let's say, uh, and let's put savior in quotes. <laughs> but again, thank you, Ryan, and thank you for your service and teaching. Uh, I think the teachers aren't appreciated enough. I, my mom's a teacher myself, and uh, thank you, and thank the Madsen Brothers family as well. It's, it's great to hear. Outstanding. Guys, thanks for having me on. Thank you, Ryan. We are now joined by Nars Martinez, lead scout from PrepHoops.com out of Washington. Nars Thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Nars, we've been, to give you a little bit of background, Hummer and I have been interviewing different scouts and recruiting analysts across the country to give Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fans a better sense of the incoming recruiting class that we know of so far. Uh, we've gone, we've talked about Ryan, uh, we've talked about Mason and Gabe Madsen. We've talked about Mike Saunders Jr., now we want to talk a little bit about Tari Eason out of Seattle. Before we do that, do you mind giving me and the listeners a little bit of sense of your experience in scouting and your background in the Seattle area? Yeah, sure. So I've grown up in the greater Seattle area my entire life, and I've spent all my life in Washington. Um, and I've been very fortunate to have uh, played basketball with and against literally countless players that have gone on to move on into the NBA and uh, got into coaching and, and the club scene in the state and uh, and also been doing scouting and writing for prep hoops um, for the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, I've just, I've been very fortunate to have uh, grown up in the Seattle basketball community and uh, with guys like Tari Eason coming along, it's showing no signs of slowing down. So well, I know it's it's known as one of the premier cities in terms of uh, you know where you can find great basketball, especially at the high school and local level. Um, who are some of the best players you personally played against? Uh, I would say Zach Levine, um, 
who's obviously a big-time player uh, for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Tony Roten. Um, you have, jeez, uh, um, Avery Bradley, uh, who plays in the NBA for the Lakers. Abdul Gaddy, who's in the G League. Um, I mean, the list honestly just goes on and on. And then, you know, all growing up as well, I was fortunate to see guys like Brandon Roy, who Tari Eason actually plays his high school ball for, um, Nate Robinson, Terrence Williams. Uh, yeah, it just goes on and on, man. A ton of talent that has come out of Washington and Seattle specifically. It's amazing. It's a, it's a shame there's not more talent out there. I'll tell you. <laughs> is there is there kind of a certain you know is there a style of player that's known to come out of seattle or yes you know what what's what are you guys known for out there yes so in washington uh i would definitely say the wiry framed kind of guard and wing type players are uh really common amongst washington guys so you look at uh, jalen mcdaniels who's just gotten his first nba playing time he played at san diego state um, you know, real long, thin frame at about 6'10". You got DeJounte Murray for the San Antonio Spurs. Same exact thing. Um, you know, Zach Levine, he really came into the league with a really lean frame as well, but just really explosive athletic scores. And uh, I would say, you know, Tari fits kind of that same build uh, from a physical standpoint. Well, yeah, let's make our way then in, into talking about the specifics of Tari Eason. And, and maybe you can give me some background sure. on on Garfield high school where he's playing right now, you know, where does it stand in terms of size, in terms of competition level? Can you tell me a little bit about that school and the league they play in? Yeah. So Garfield high school is based right in the central district of Seattle. And uh, I mean, it has a very long history dating. Literally you could go back 40, 50 years of prominent basketball players. It's, it has the richest history in the state. um, When you, when you put it all together, um, some of the good players that have come out of there, I'll keep it more in the modern era for people. Uh, definitely Brandon Roy, who's also the head coach there. Now you have Tony Roten, who was a first round NBA draft pick out of Garfield. Um, you have PJ Fuller, who's playing at TCU right now, doing pretty well as a freshman. Um, I mean, list just goes on and on. You got Jerron Brooks, who's played over at USC and the university of Washington, uh, Trey Simmons, who's also an assistant there. He had a very long, great professional career. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, very, very impressive basketball community. And I would definitely say it's the, you know, it's definitely the most nationally contending school right there with Rainier Beach year to year. And, you know, they're a staple in the state tournament. There's no doubt about that. And, it, you know, I've been following along on Twitter and trying to share videos where we can. It does appear as though they went on a little bit of a run in the tournament. Say that one more time for me. It, it does. It did seem like uh, you know, Tari and Garfield went on a bit of a run there and actually won maybe a local, you know, you might know better. I, I wasn't sure which level they reached, but uh, they did win some regional championship of sorts. Yes. Yep. Yep. They just won the Metro championship, which is a big deal. The Metro League here in Seattle is definitely the best league in the state. And some people would go as far as to say it's one of the best, if not the best in the entire West coast. And, uh, Tari definitely did his thing for Garfield. And, uh, you know, it's high level basketball. You got a lot of passion, a lot of athleticism, but also a good mixture of skill, which I think 
differentiates the Northwest versus some other regions in the country. We're at, we're a really good combination of athleticism and length, but also that skill set because we do play, you know, it's physical in the Metro League, but I would say it's definitely a skill game as well. So if we're just talking about the the kind of physical stats of Tari East, and I think he's listed in the range of six seven, six eight, about two hundred pounds. Clearly long, clearly rangy, and you know he's more of a power forward from a, a role standpoint. But I've noticed these stat lines come across where he's dropping twenty five points, double digit rebounds, but sometimes near you know six seven assists as well. Uh, can you right? You know what's the profile? Kind of what are the strengths of his game at this point? Yeah, so Tari, I would put him right in that 6'8 range. When you add his wingspan, he's definitely taller than that. Um, he's put on some more weight. He's still, like I said, he's got a wiry frame, but I'd say I'd give him a little bit over 200 pounds for sure. And, uh, you know, I would say his motor is the number one thing that stands out from a scouting uh, view. You know, he really, he really never stops playing. He doesn't give up on any plays. He crashes the rebounds hard as can be. Um, he has great length on defense. He can defend multiple positions. He has good a good quick jump, which I think is something that's overlooked. Um, there's a lot of explosive leapers, but Tari is one of those guys that's a quick leaper. He gets off the off the ground very fast. Um, you know, he's added to to his arsenal on the offensive end year by year, which has been super impressive. And um, he's he's a super athlete with a super motor. That's actually fantastic to hear and not something you would know from afar watching clips. You know, Bearcat fans are used to, we have a history and are accustomed to great power forward play. You know, right. dating back to Danny Fortson, we went on a run of Fortson, Kenyon, Max Seal, uh, Eric Hicks, Gary Clark. And now we've got Tari coming in who may be, you know, aside from maybe Danny Fortson, the most highly regarded high school prospect, um, whereas these guys got really came into their own in, in college. All of them were known as having ferocious and tenacious motors. So it sounds like he'll fit right into that power forward legacy with the Bearcats. Yeah, I would definitely say so. And he's, it was great about Tari is he's kind of the modern day power forward where I've really been impressed with his progress on the perimeter, even just in the last six to nine months. I mean, he's handling the basketball now. He's making three point shots off the bounce. He's been getting some four point plays and, you know, he always has the opposing team's best wing forward defender, you know, guarding him. And, uh, and he's getting it done from the perimeter as well as inside. At this point, you know, let's say in the Metro championship, how are coaches and opposing teams scouting Tari and maybe building a game plan against him? What would be the way they're trying to exploit him at this point? Well, number one is they're putting their longest, strongest, best athlete on them. And, you know, the big thing with going against Tari, coaches are wanting to keep him off the boards. And uh, so he's been facing off against several other future Division One players. He's gone up against Paulo Banchero, who's a top five prospect in the 2021 class, and he more than held his own. I mean, that, that was a great matchup. And Paulo's about 6'10", you know, real strong frame. And uh, Tari actually had a really impressive putback dunk on him. Um, you know, definitely just people want to keep Tari off the boards. They want to try to force him into difficult shots if they can. Uh, you know, it's been hard as his shot making ability has progressed. So he's starting to make more difficult shots off balance now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he it's a difficult defend, man. Just 
six eight and athletic um, that crashes the boards, but can also score from the outside. So is the the outside game the ability to knock down shots off the bounce, uh, or is is there even any slashing ability at this point? Is that the newest part? That maybe the newest wrinkle that he's added is the outside game. Exactly. Yeah. So when Tari came in, he was definitely he's always had the energy and the motor, and that's always been his staple. Uh, but as time has kind of progressed, you know, he'll you'll see him grab a rebound and push it down the floor, and he's really good in transition. Um, but I've also seen him now when it's in more of a half court setting, he's taking his man one-on-one off the bounce. And even just two years ago, I wouldn't say that he had that in his game at the time, or at least he didn't show it. So that's kind of been the new wrinkle. Um, he's also, he's always been a pretty good slasher just because his feet are constantly moving. He can catch and, and, and dunk it or finish with skill, um, you know, with very, even with a bad pass, he just finds a way of getting the ball and he can find a way to put it in the hoop. So I've got to ask, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the players you mentioned, you know, Avery, Avery Bradley, Tony Roten, uh, these guys played in Seattle, played in the Northwest, but they also did their time in college in the Northwest as well. How did Tari Eason get pulled out of that area? Well, that's, that's a great question for sure. You know, I think that, uh, there was some coaching transitions going on at university of Washington is also at Washington state university, uh, with the head coaching staff. And I originally thought that Wazoo was, uh, going to have a pretty good shot at him because his head coach early on had become at Garfield high school had become the assistant at Washington state. But, uh, that coaching staff ended up changing. And just as his final senior year, his final summer going into his senior year progressed along, he started getting these offers from all over the country. And, you know, I think that because the way that he progressed and the off, type of offers that he was getting, I think there became a sense that Tari was going to leave the Northwest. And he's originally from California as well, I believe, or at least his mom is. And so, um, you know, he had a very strong recruitment by USC, UC Santa Barbara, Pepperdine, and multiple schools over there as well. So there was a sense that he would probably potentially leave the Northwest. So it comes as no surprise, but I don't think that a year and a half ago, people would have guessed Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, Cincinnati is not necessarily known to go out you know, those ways. I can't remember the last time we had a player from, from the Pacific Northwest. However, we're excited about what he's bringing to the table because – like I said, it's it's a position that's of, of extreme importance to, in terms of history, uh, but also in terms of our need next season with with the type of big men that we have leaving the class next next year. No, for sure. And you know, he he's mentioned that how he loved the fan base out there. I really think that's one of the major things that won him over. Um, he'd also been quoted in one article as saying how he loved how the head coach was telling them how you know they utilize all five players everyone's going to be able to handle the ball pass the ball and make decisions and I think that's a big deal with Tari because he doesn't want to be limited um, he doesn't want to be a dog on a leash I think he's out of his best when he's just playing free and being able to play off of his natural instincts so he I'm sure that's what he feels like he's getting with uh, the head coach over there Cincinnati and the staff do you have a player that you like comparing him to at this point in terms of maybe where he might project in the future? That's, that's another great question. You know, I would, I would say so. Um, 
just, you know, I would say that that's difficult just because Tar- who Tari is or who he was one year ago and who he is today has changed so much with his added perimeter game. So, you know, you could say a, uh, you know, a uber athletic type of a player like uh, Jonathan Isaac or somebody like that. But he's he's added to his perimeter game now. So, you know, I'm not going to say that he's he's this type of player by any means, but um, at least in Seattle at the high school level, he dang near looks like uh, Tracy McGrady, (laughs) (laughs) you you know, and and obviously that's, you know, but that's considering the level that he's he's playing. And, you know, T-Mac was obviously a great player, but that's who he looks like right now. I don't know, you know, that he'll project that way in college. That's, of course, dependent on his development. But um, just, you know, that six, eight, super long, very athletic slasher, but also handling the ball on the perimeter. So, um, yeah, I mean, that would those are some big time comparisons, but uh, we can do that for high school. It's fun. So, it, yeah, it's fun and tries. It, it gives people a sense of maybe what the physical pro, profile, you know, compares to McGrady. Exactly. Yeah. The skill development would obviously have to be elite, elite, elite to reach that McGrady right. point. But no, yep. I, I really like that. I also like the Isaac comparison because uh, he's a guy who, even in the NBA now, is finding his niche as sort of that extremely rangy, you know, high energy defender. Uh, it's the right. offensive game that's trying to catch up at this point. So both both comparisons, you know, nail on the head. I, I actually was struggling to find one myself. Yeah, yeah. I think those are, you know, like I say, at the high school level, that's that's what he looks like right now playing against Metro League, but obviously in college and then moving on potentially to the pro levels. I think Jonathan Isaac is a is a good comparison. Do you find at this point that the motor is translating to both both offense and defense? Is he able to have, you know, similar impact on both ends? Yeah, I'd say so. Because, um, you know, he's played in some really dang good high school teams um, throughout his career. And one of the best ways for him to get on the floor was through his rebounding, his energy, his, you know, diving on the floor for loose balls. And that part of his game hasn't gone away as his perimeter skills have developed. So he's always been able to defend, you know, multiple positions. At least at the high school level, he can defend three, four, five pretty well. Um, I think at the next level, I could definitely see him guarding the three and four, but also having the versatility with his lateral um, foot speed and his length to be able to guard some twos and switch on to some point guards as needed. It's, it's all, I, I'm, I'm blown away with how, you know, your precision on, on, in details that you're providing on his game are exciting. Uh, I would say it surpassed my expectations and my expectations were already pretty high. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I've been seeing I've been seeing him for a long time and uh, had the opportunity to watch Tari in the club scene, in the high school scene, local high school ball all the way down to national tournaments, even streaming games is needed. And, uh, you know, he deserves all the accolades he's had. You know, one thing that I wanted to note with Tari is just kind of we've talked a lot about his progression, but uh, a lot of people don't really know, you know, when uh, he came into his freshman season. He didn't, he barely saw the floor if at all during his freshman year, 10th grade year. He saw it a little bit more, but not very much. It wasn't until his junior year when all of a sudden he was given an opportunity. He actually transferred over to a nearby school federal way for one season. And, uh, he really just took off. Uh, he was provided a lot more opportunity. Um, they played a national schedule and every single game, 
he brought it. And that's when you kind of started to see his recruitment start to take off. And then his final club season, he also participated in the Pangos All-American camp in California, as well as the NBPA Top 100 camp. And he performed very well at both of those camps. Um, You know, we're talking about all top 100 level players all throughout the country. Um, He made the top 30 camp or he made the top 30 all-star game at the Pangos camp. And uh, he had 17 points in that all-star game as well. Um, And that's when you just started seeing his power five offers really just start to skyrocket. So um, it's been pretty impressive to see his development over time because some guys come into the scene, you know, they're made ready. You can tell as a freshman. Like, we knew Tony Roten was going to be really good when he stepped onto the scene at Garfield. And, uh, you know, the general public, I would say, would not say the same about Tari, but now he's kind of catapulted himself into that type of a conversation because, you know, now he is the best senior in the state. So it's been fun to watch. Right. It's not a, it wasn't a, a preordained type thing with, with uh, Tari, it sounds like. He had to actually develop and work, and it, and it really mm-hmm. did pay off as, as time went along couple last questions for you. Brandon Roy, is there any specific type of system or style of basketball that he's currently running at Garfield? Yeah, sure. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, a lot of people are always curious what, how Brandon Roy is as a coach. And, uh, you know, Brandon Roy, in his first year ever coaching high school, um, was over at Nathan Hale, which is also in Seattle. And they won the national championship with Michael Porter Jr., who's now now also in the NBA. He spent his senior year over here in Seattle. And um, now, a couple years later, he gets to coach Tari again. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's a very, very fast up-tempo style. That's how they play. It's the same way they played. You know, um, every team that Brennan Roy has had has, all, has pretty much played the same way. I would say that this team plays even a little bit more fast than the Michael Porter Jr. team did, um, just because they had so much superior size. But, um, you know, with Tari, he's, he, he runs the floor like a gazelle. So, um, you know, they have him get out, they pressure the ball, they look to push. It's not uncommon to see Garfield teams have two to three alley-oops and, you know, three or four other dunks throughout the game. So that kind of gives you a visual of the type of basketball that we're talking about. So, Pretty physical, up-tempo in your face. A lot of hands are being clapped and a lot of high fives and just real good energy for sure. So, Well, Brandon's in his, our, our head coach, John Brandon, he's in his first season with Cincinnati. He's obviously coaching a team that's full of players, mostly that were recruited by uh, the prior coach, Mick Cronin. Um, you right. probably know when you have a college coach taking over uh, prior coaches' players, there's always some, some growing pains that come with that. But what John Brandon has described is a system that – that's much more, it is a faster pace, higher tempo. Um, and it does sound like in his perfect world, he's got more more shot creation and more drive creation from all, all five spots. So the more you describe Tari, his game does sound like a great fit for what John Brandon's ideal system would be at Cincinnati. Yeah, for sure. And as Tari continues to prove that he can hit that three-point shot, I think that's really going to open things up for him at the next level, which he's starting to show now. But obviously, you know, the competition level is definitely tougher in college. There's more length. There's better scouting reports and game plans. But if he continues evolving and and hitting that outside shot mixed with that up-tempo style, because in the open court, he's, you know, he's dynamite. 
It's just, uh, you know, when, when teams really start clamping down, if he can hit that three ball and, and continue progressing, then I definitely think that will be could be a match made in heaven. Well, I'll ask you this uh, as kind of a parting shot, but you've seen a ton of great players come through the Seattle area. Lots of guys who ended up making a great professional career for themselves, uh, probably not just in the NBA, but frankly abroad as well. Do you see Tari Eason as a prospect who has a chance to develop into a NBA level talent? Sure. So there's a trainer that I'm actually pretty dang close with that trains a lot of the top guys over in Seattle. And he texted me one day, he had actually done a workout with him and, and another guy that he works out with that's projected as a lottery pick. That's also out of Seattle. And he told me, he said, Tari can be a pro. So, um, you know, and this, you know, that, that's a big statement to say for sure. And uh, I think that Tari has that type of potential. It's just going to be continued development. Does he continue to grind and uh, stick with it? Um, he has potential to be a pro. Now, you know, when that is during his college career, that's obviously still up in the air, right? So, um, but just if he stays right on track with the same level of development that he has year to year at the high school level and he continues that on into college, I could definitely see him um, earning his way into the pro ranks. Say no more, sir. That's exciting to hear as a Bearcat fan, and, and we can't wait to to welcome Tari Eason to Cincinnati, Ohio, beautiful Cincinnati, Ohio, next season. Nars, I appreciate the time. Uh, where could folks find your content online? Uh, because it's, I really appreciate you spending this time and sharing these details. I'm sure other folks want to find them as well. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm on Twitter, at PrepHoopsWA. That's PrepHoopsWashington. And uh, we cover prospects of all levels um, and including guys like Tari Eason. So well, appreciate we... the time. It's been great. Appreciate it, Nars. Thanks again for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Yes, thanks for having me.